0: Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for providing my every need and giving me the strength to make it through. I pray that i listen for your voice today and cast all my worries on you. Help me to see others through your eyes and notice the opportunities you have for me. Let me love others as you do, forgive and let be. Please take away the anxiety and stress that I may trust and rely on you, and rest. In every moment of every day, may I open my heart to you and pray, asking you not only to meet my needs, but how I'll serve as the Spirit intercedes. Thank you for being with me, even in my darkest days, and forgiving me for wronging you in so many ways. Help me to pray, for better or worse, but most importantly, to always pray first.
1: When George was a young man growing up on the English countryside in the early 1800s, he knew he was gonna be a farmer. That's what his family did, that's what his dad did, that's what his grandpa did. His cousins, his uncles, everybody farmed, and that was his goal, his destiny. Until one day, he had a little bit of an accident with a horse and buggy, and it flipped his world upside down. So he did what most men in his situation did during the Industrial Revolution. He moved from the countryside to London. It was in London where he would procure an apprenticeship with a a department store, and it was in that department store where he would meet his wife. Well, through his wife, he would also come to meet Jesus. Jesus. He would receive Jesus as his Savior and his Lord, and he would just be set on fire in his heart for the things that broke God's heart. And what broke his heart, as God placed this seed of anguish in his heart and just nurtured it through times of prayer, well, it was the broken men of London. See, because there are a lot of young men who would leave their families behind in the countryside because there was no work there. They'd come to London to work, they'd make a check, they'd get their money, and they're trying to send it home, but they'd get involved with gambling, prostitution, drinking, things of that nature. Other men in London were involved in the same things, and what he saw was the family unit breaking down, and it broke his heart. So, through a time of prayer and over time, with this seed of anguish in his heart, he decided to do something about it. He got 11 of his buddies, and they decided to rent out a hall and do a Bible study. Well, the Bible study grew, and it grew, and it grew some more. And on June 6th, 1843, George Williams decided to open up an organization that we know as the YMCA, the Young Man's Christian Organization. And over the past 150 plus years, this organization has been critical and essential in bringing so many men to Christ helping them be better leaders, helping them be better fathers and husbands. Actually, we've got a a picture of the first meeting at the YMCA. Yeah, pretty good photography, I'd say, for 1843. Okay, that's really not them. Some of you are like, man, that's cool. They look like the village people. (laughs) Think about this, though. George was a man of prayer. And during that prayer, he was called to action. Have you ever considered that prayer is a call to action? Prayer is a call to action. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, that's our main point. Prayer is a call to action. It's as if when we stand in front of God, we're reporting for duty as we pray. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week four of our series called Pray First. It's in this series in which we're looking at seven prayers in the Bible who prayed very powerful prayers. Week one, Pastor Bob talked about a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who prayed an amazing prayer over the church in Ephesus. Week two, he covered Hannah, who who gave this prayer for a child. She wanted a child so badly, and she prayed an amazing prayer, and God answered that prayer. Last week, I covered a guy named Jacob. His prayer was, God, change me. And what we learned last week was prayer is not about conquering God's will, but surrendering To God's will. This week we're hanging out with a guy named Nehemiah, and our main point this week is that prayer is a call to action. So turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. Let me set the scene for what's going on. Some of you may not know where Nehemiah is in the Bible. Just open it up. The Bible right in the middle, you got Psalms. Go left about three books, and you're going to hit Nehemiah somewhere in there. So, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah takes place about 420 to 450 years before the birth of Jesus. Well, about a thousand years before Nehemiah, God showed up, and he had told Moses to tell the people, you guys are jacked up, and if you don't fix your jacked up I'm going to kershpankle you and send you into slavery, and it's not going to be fun. Prophet after prophet after prophet would show up and say the same thing. Finally, Jeremiah shows up on the scene, and Jeremiah is all gloom and doom, but he says these words. God said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to bless you, plans to not harm you, but 70 years, you're going to go to Babylon. You're going to be slaves, but God's true to his word. He's going to bring you back, and he's going to bless you in an amazing way, and God is true to his word. So, he sends the people to Babylon, which is current-day Iraq, and then he starts bringing them back. They come back in three waves. Wave one is led by a guy named Zerubbabel. Wave two is led by a guy named Ezra. Wave three is going to be led by a guy named Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of the the Persian Empire. He, he's looked at as this king, his name is Artaxerxes, is looked at as the most powerful man in the world, also the most influential man in the world. Stay thirsty, my friends. This king is a powerful man, and he is living in a place called Susa. It's the capital of the world, basically, in the eyes of the people, 420 years before Jesus. So our story picks up in Nehemiah chapter 1. All right, here we go. Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, Kislev is, is December, that's important, we'll talk about that later. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So Nehemiah is at the right place at the right time. A gal, a generation before him, Esther, she's part of this whole exile group. She was at the right place at the right time. Daniel, a couple generations before Nehemiah, part of this exile group, at the right place at the right time. God would use them and use situations to affect his good and perfect will. So he's got a brother. We don't know if it's a blood brother or if it's just a Jewish brother, a brother of faith. A guy named Hanani shows up, and he gives the report about what's going on in the home front, because when, when God had sent everybody to Babylon, there was a remnant back there, and a remnant stayed there in Jerusalem, and things got pretty ugly in Jerusalem. And he gives the report, and what we'd find out is that God's name is being dragged through the streets, the temple is destroyed completely, the temple's gone. And then the gates and the wall around the city of Jerusalem gone to. They're burned to the ground or torn to the ground. And that's a big deal. Those gates in that wall, what that did, it had two things, provided two things. Thing one was a physical barrier. You see, the, the, the enemies couldn't attack if that wall was up. So you had a physical bar- barrier. Also, you had a psychological boost for the people living behind the wall. Because when the wall is around your city, you're going to feel free to go and work. Well, the problem is, people of Jerusalem without a wall, they weren't working. They didn't feel safe. And this rips our man, Nehemiah, apart. It's been said that a true Jew never forgets Jerusalem. Jerusalem is always in his or her hearts. It's also been said that great life-changing events are like big doors that swing on little hinges. Two little but powerful hinges that this story is going to swing on today are Nehemiah and his prayer. Okay, let's keep on going. Verse 4. When I heard these things that Jerusalem's trashed, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. For days upon days, he weeps, mourns, fasts, and prays. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I get bad news, I go right to worry. I go right to the fix it mode. I love to fix it pipes are breaking, hey, we're going to fix this. And that's a good thing to do when the pipes are breaking and you got life, property, things like that at risk. But most of the time, what God calls on us to do is to pray first. To pray first. It's not only the title of the series, it's what we want to inspire all of us here to do, to pray first. Colin Powell once said that, that, that when you have an issue, most of the time, you can take a night and sleep on it and pray over it. And it's so true. So Nehemiah does this. He relies on God first rather than himself. We want to worry and work into the problems. No, we we pray first. So remember our main thought today: prayer is a call to action. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna read his prayer. I want to read his prayer in its entirety. And then after that, we're gonna pull apart the prayer to get nuggets from that prayer. Today's teaching is very practical, and my hope is it's gonna speak into your prayer life. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah 1, verses 5 through 11, the prayer of Nehemiah. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel." I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I'm going to gather them. I'm going to bring them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. God, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer Of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is going to meet Artaxerxes on this day, and he's wanting favor. And here's the thing about Nehemiah Matt Chandler, he's a a great pastor. Matt Chandler once said these words about Nehemiah the prayer warrior. He said that Nehemiah believed four things about God that God keeps his promises that God hears his prayers, that God is powerful, and that God is merciful, that God keeps his promises. God hears our prayers. He's a promise keeper, and when he gives us a promise, God is going to keep those promises. Whenever we pray, God's going to hear those prayers, and he's powerful. He can do anything, and he's full of mercy, love, grace, and justice. Nehemiah believes these four things about God to the core of his being, and what we're going to find out is what we believe about God says a lot about the faith behind our prayers. So Nehemiah is at that intersection. His, his world has fallen apart because his heart is truly in Jerusalem. He's at the intersection, and in the past he's got the temple, the beauty of Jerusalem, and now he's given this information, and he's got the future, and it looks bleak. And so he takes time to pray because he's convicted that God's going to do something. So let's talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He wasn't a prophet, a priest, a pastor, if you will. He's just an ordinary guy who was a devout Jewish man who loved God with everything he had. And he was a cupbearer to the king. So what does that mean? Cupbearer to the king means that he is gonna see the king, King Artaxerxes, multiple times throughout the day. Anytime the king would take a drink of anything, Nehemiah is the first one to drink. Anytime the king would eat anything, Nehemiah would take a bite of that food to make sure it wasn't poison. He was trusted and in a position of privilege. He was living large and in charge. As a slave in the Babylonian Empire, things were pretty good for him. But he hears what happens and what is going on back home, and he's got anguish. It breaks his heart, and he believes that God keeps his promises. He believes that God hears his people that God is powerful and that God is merciful. David Wilkerson, he he wrote a book called The The Cross and the Switchblade. Some of you have heard of him. He also started these these dream centers for teenagers to get them off of of, uh, drugs and alcohol. Amazing pastor. He died about six or seven years ago. Well, he once talked about prayer and how important prayer is. He said this, he said, a true prayer life begins from a place of anguish. A true prayer life begins from a place of anguish, and he explained it this way. God takes an ordinary and available man or woman of faith, and he places in their hearts a seed of anguish, and through prayer, God starts fertilizing that anguish. And through anguish, anguish leads to action, and then action starts a movement. God baptizes that man or woman, into the waters of anguish. Let me give you an example of who that happened to. Uh, Civil rights movement, 1960s, Dr. Martin Luther King. I often have to share with my non-Christian friends that he's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, that he loved Jesus with everything in his heart, that he was a pastor and and a devoted Christ follower. Well, God placed a seed of anguish in his heart and baptized him in the waters of anguish for the civil rights movement, that all men are and women are created equal. Notice that God didn't baptize him in the waters of concern. There's a big difference. See, concern, when I hear about something going on with somebody and I'm concerned, I'm like, hey, man, I'll pray for you, and hopefully I'll remember to pray. But anguish, anguish causes me to weep, mourn, fast, and pray Anguish causes me to go on my knees on the darkest days. Anguish calls me to action. Big movements and great causes are born from from a place of anguish. Not a place of concern, but a place of anguish. Let me give you a handful of examples of some of that going on here at Cornwall Church. Many of you know Pastor Bill, uh, Pastor Bill Gilfillan. He's our our small groups pastor. I love Pastor Bill, a very wise man and a dear friend. And Bill has a heart for others that's uncanny. And Bill, through prayer, had a seed of anguish placed in his heart. And that seed of anguish was about a homeless community, but it's about a a small segment of the homeless community. Families who things are going well and then something happens and they, they lose their housing for a very short period of time. So Bill has been around this area for a while so he got together with some community leaders some other pastors and what Pastor Bill did was they formed a nonprofit called Family Promise. Now what Family Promise is now a consortium of 18 different churches that have shower facilities and things of that nature and so a family going through the tyranny of the moment can stay for up to 4 weeks at a time at a given church that's part of this consortium. You see prayer prayer led to anguish. Anguish led to action, and action brought a little bit of God's kingdom to our corner of the earth. It's anguish. Some of you may know Karma Roshasunder. Karma was our go and be director for a few years here at Cornwall Church. She resigned a couple years ago because what had happened, God had placed a seed of anguish in her heart about human sex trafficking. The I 5 the, the corridor from Vancouver down to Portland, is one of the most heavily sex-trafficked corridors in the country. At that time, she was volunteering within Getty Ministry, one of our partnership ministries, and as I said, God placed that seed of anguish in her heart and baptized her into the waters of anguish. She was doing well here, a lot of, a lot of success in the ministry. She had a great job, and God placed it on her heart to resign from her job and go back to school full-time to get her counseling degree a master's degree in counseling, which she's wrapping up now and she's working within Getty Ministries. It started with prayer. It led to anguish. Anguish led to action. Action brought a little bit of God's kingdom right here. Many of you know our executive pastor, Pastor Jeff Shaw. Well, Pastor Jeff Shaw's wife, uh, Jen, came to him one day a few years ago and she had anguish in her heart. The anguish in her heart was for foster kids. He said, Jeff, I know we're called to this. This is what we're supposed to do. And Jeff said, absolutely, I agree. Let's do this. So they started fostering a whole bunch of kids, and they ended up adopting four of those kids. They got eight kids. We call them the elite eight. And what Pastor Jen and Jeff do now is beyond just fostering their mentoring. They're doing both fostering and mentoring families who are foster parents. Prayer led to anguish, anguish to action, action to God's kingdom being brought to reality right here in our corner of the world. One more, one more. I could talk all day about this. I see your faces here in the audience. So many of you have stories that are just like this. Uh, Sue Samuelson, Sue Samuelson in Skagit. Skagit, you guys watching, you guys know Sue. Every week, Sue is in Explorers League because her anguish is for kids who don't know Jesus. She weeps, she mourns, she fasts, she prays for kids who don't know Jesus. She's part of a, a, a group called Children of the Valley. And what she does is she volunteers in this group, it's an after school program that talks to kids about Jesus. And not only does she teach little guys about Jesus, she, she mentors their teen volunteers. Anguish. Anguish leads to action, action to God's kingdom being brought to this corner of the world. Where? In your heart, do you have anguish? Where has God placed a seed of anguish in your heart? Go on your knees, weep, mourn, fast, and pray, and God's gonna do something with that. He did that with Nehemiah. So remember Nehemiah, what he believes God keeps his promises, God hears his people, God's powerful, and God is merciful. Let me shift gears now, because what we're going to do is we're going to go back, and we're going to look at this prayer, and we're going to pull it apart. If, for those of you who were here last week, I talked a little bit about the Old Testament prayers, the prayers of the Hebrew nation, that they, they fell into a pattern, a lot of them. And that pattern spells out ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration is, is just praising God for who He is. Confession, well, that's just confessing the junk in our lives, Thanksgiving is not only thanking God for what he's doing in our lives, thanking for forgiveness, but praising him. And then lastly is supplication, asking God for things. And with that ask, we always do that humbly. So what we're going to see in this prayer is we're going to see adoration, confession. Some scholars say, well, you see Thanksgiving kind of woven through it. I don't know. And then you'll definitely see supplication. So we're going to take some nuggets from this. Here we go. Nehemiah 1 verses 5 through 7. Let's pull this apart. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He's adoring God right here. He's saying, God, you are a great and awesome God. You are amazing. Then look what he does he confesses. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We haven't obeyed the commands, the decrees, the laws you gave your servant Moses. He's praying for his country. He says, God, we own this. I own this. And so often when I, when I preach, I'm preaching to myself because how often do I pray for the brokenness of our country, but all I do is complain to my friends about it, and I might post something goofy on Facebook. He owns it, and he confesses confesses that this is an issue. Now look what he does next, verses 8 and 9, because what he's going to do next is so important in our prayer life. He's going to quote Scripture to God. Here we go. Verses 8 and 9. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses a thousand years before this story, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. He's quoting Leviticus 26, verse 33. Verse 33. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse four. So far, he said, God, you're huge, you're big, you're amazing. And then he confesses. And then he prays scripture back to God. And he doesn't do it to remind God of God's word. He does it because he's proclaiming faith in the one to whom he's praying, and prayer's so often that, where we pray, when we pray, we proclaim faith in the one to whom we're praying. We do that so often with Scripture. So what he does, he's got a problem, and he takes Scripture, and then he builds a prayer around the problem. It's a big, you know, Scripture is very important to us here at Cornwall Church. We want you to connect with God daily through Scripture. In fact, that's one of our key discipleship goals is for you to connect each day with God through Scripture. We want you to get Scripture on your heart because when the bottom falls out and you can't even utter a word of prayer, the Holy Spirit does something with those words that you've read and memorized, and He brings them up. So let's look at this. God invites us to speak to Him of his promises, and when we do, it's like launching angelic artillery at the problem. It's amazing. So, what we're going to do, I want to give you a couple examples of how to do that. We're going to take a promise of Scripture, and we're going to build our prayer around it for those times when we run into problems. Okay, let's look at a very popular passage, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, "'Come to me, all of you, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So we got a promise. Got a promise from Jesus right here. And we've got a problem going on in our lives. We take this promise and we get it from scripture and we build a prayer around it. A prayer could look something like this. God, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm beat. I've worked 60 hours this week. I haven't seen my wife much. My kids, there's some stuff going on with them. You already know about all that. But here's the deal, God. I, I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm carrying a very heavy burden. And you said in your word that if I come to you, when I'm, wearied, when I'm weary and I carry and have these burdens, that if I yoke into you, you're going to give me some rest. Will you give me that rest? I need this so badly in Christ's name amen. You take a promise in Scripture and you build your prayer around the promise. Let me give you another one. What happens when you biff it, when you totally screw up? First John 1 John 1.9 is a great go-to verse for this. Because remember, as we do this, prayer is about proclaiming faith in the one to whom we're, we're praying. And we do that through Scripture so often. First John 1 John 1.9, but if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Other translations say cleanse us from all wickedness unrighteousness. A prayer could look like this, God, I screwed up. I screwed up again. I'm, va- I'm back in my vomit like a dog. I don't know what to do. I've done my best. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting my flesh. I've gone back and I've made amends with everybody, but I got to know that you forgive me. You said in your word that if I confess my sin, that you're going to be faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. I need that now. Will you do that for me, God? Amen. See, you proclaim your faith when you pray scripture, when you pray scripture, you're believing that God keeps his promises, that God hears you because you're one of his kids, that God is powerful and can do something in that prayer, and that God is merciful and full of grace and love. That sense of feeling overwhelmed when, when, when you're going through something is lessened when you pray because, folks, you can't overpray when you're overwhelmed. You, can't, you cannot overpray when you're overwhelmed. You, you pray first and you, you just keep on giving it back to God and you're in this period of waiting and he shows up so many times. Max Lucato once said that the path to peace is paved with prayer. Think about that. The path to peace is paved with, paved with prayer how God shows up and gives us that perfect peace that surpasses all understanding when we pray. Let's keep on going. Verses 10 and 11. He continues, they, Israel, are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Okay, now he goes to the supplication piece. That's the big ask piece. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Give your servant success today. Basically, he's saying, Lord, make me successful. And a couple of you who have been sleeping are like, whoa, hey, yeah, preach on, Kip. Let's talk about that. Okay, here's what he's not saying. Lord, make me drop-dead sexy, Lord, I used to have an eight-pack, now I got a one-pack minus, and I need you to show up because I want to look good. Lord, give me money. Make me prosper. That's not what he's saying. When he says, Lord, give me success, it's, it's about praying into the will of God. As we learned last week, prayer is not about conquering God's will, but surrendering ours to his. So he's supplicating in a humble way He's saying, God, please make me successful. You know what's going on. You know what's on my heart. I see the pain in your heart. God, you know I want to do my best for you and my people. I'm standing in front of this pagan, non-believing king who can kill me like this. I need your favor. Give me success. You see, because he's a man of anguish and his prayer is coming from a place of anguish, he's saying, here am I, send me. If he's coming from a place of concern, it's like he's saying, God, um, hey, stuff's going on in Jerusalem. It sucks to be them. Will you show up there, help someone, and do some things? No, he's full of anguish, and he wants success. See, there's a big difference between godly success and worldly success. Worldly success is about position, privilege, and power. Worldly success is about me bigger, everyone else smaller. Godly success is different. In Luke 16, Jesus says that God has great distaste for what the world honors. See, godly success is Jesus first, everybody else second, me third. And we serve and we get success, godly success through that. Chuck Swindoll many years ago. I think it was almost a couple decades ago. He wrote this book called A Quest for Character. And in this book, it's kind of like a daily devotional thing. It's a pretty cool book. But he, he talks about a prayer for success. And he actually uses Nehemiah's prayer, the backside back of Nehemiah's prayer, on this, Lord, make me su- successful. And what he writes, he rewrites the prayer to be this way. And this is truly a prayer for success. Lord, make me successful. Make me find that place in the center of your will where heavenly prosperity rests in whatever level it may be. May I reach the maximum potential so that I am in your eyes, in your eyes, God, prosperous. And Lord, grant me favor with those in authority over me. Heavenly prosperity. See, we think heavenly prosperity is about getting rich, being healthy. In God's eyes, heavenly prosperity may mean you adopting a child with special needs. It may mean you go into a combat zone, working in the inner city or, work, or serving in the outer banks. It may mean just having a stick to itness in your marriage, being on your knees for that kid who is wayward, having that seed of anguish in your heart. Give me successes about God's will, not yours, not mine. So Nehemiah prays this prayer, and it's from a point of anguish. But here's something that we can miss, and I don't have time to to go into all this. Uh, You can read Nehemiah chapter 2 on your own. But remember at the beginning when his brother Han and I showed up? It was the month of Kislev. Kislev is December. And he says, I wept and mourned, I fasted and prayed for some days. Well, he shows up this day, so he's in December, he shows up on this day and prays, and this day he's going to meet King Artaxerxes. He says this prayer in the month of Nisan, which is April, March, April timeframe, at Passover. So he, 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 he got the news in December, and he wept more and fasted and prayed until March. For four months, our boy Nehemiah was full of anguish and prayed. Spoiler alert, he shows up to Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes says, you go, man, I'm with you. Yeah, go there, fix what's going on in Jerusalem, and he does In 52 days, he and his team, they build the walls around Jerusalem. That's less than two months. He prayed for four months. He worked for two months. He was on his knees for four months, on his feet for two months. He prayed double the amount that he worked. And he was given favor from God. Folks, prayer is a call to action, but so often that action is simply waiting. Prayer is a call to action, and that action so often is waiting. We see this with Nehemiah. Had he gotten the word from Hanani that day and gone to see the king, because he would see the king that day. He He would see the king multiple times throughout the day. Maybe, just maybe, God would have said no. Or maybe, just maybe, Artaxerxes' heart wouldn't have been ready. But during the waiting period, God did something. God moved. And during the waiting period in our lives, God is working. God's doing something behind the scenes. He's, he's putting stuff together. He's working on our hearts. He's preparing us for battle. He prayed for four months. He worked for two. Psalm 27 verse 14, one of my life verses, wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. The, the way I memorized it was wait on the Lord, be strong and courageous. Yes, wait on the Lord. God's always going to answer prayer. It's going to be yes, it's going to be no, or it's going to be wait. And the waiting is the toughest part. And it's during that time in which God does something. It's during that time that God trains us how to fight. He prepares us for battle. So I pull back at this, pull back to that 30,000 foot level. Now, remember, the Bible is a progressive revelation of Jesus. And as I pull back at this, I see Jesus all through this. Go with me on this. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay, that's Jesus. Jesus is the the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything that was created was created by Him, for Him, and through Him. So Jesus creates, and as He creates, it's good. Then He creates man and woman, and it's very good. Man and woman in the Garden of Eden screw up. They're, They're disobedient, and all ugliness enters the world. Jerusalem, proverbial Jerusalem, is smashed. It's burned to the ground. And Jesus has anguish, so much anguish that He comes to earth to set things right. At that one point, He's got this this broken world, but on the other point, He's got this hope for the future, and He goes to the cross and dies for our sins, the sins of past, present, and future, the sins of mankind, to right what's wrong. He rises from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father, where He intercedes for us. And he calls on us now, the new Jerusalem, the church, to have anguish for what breaks his heart. Folks, what if, what if this week, every day when we woke up, we took this challenge, we would just pray to God, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me the eyes to see the ugliness of this world and the beauty of this world. Give me that seed of anguish because it's with that seed of anguish that this world is gonna change, and I can be like those other guys I mentioned before, and, and, and I, can, I can bring a little bit of your kingdom to reality right here, but I need you to give me that seed of anguish. I swear God would do this. He will. He, 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 during your waiting time, He is gonna move in your heart to do something, and maybe it starts with concern, but then builds into anguish. God will show up. God, break my heart, for what breaks yours. If we prayed that as a church, that would start a movement. That would start some change that would truly affect this world. So this is how we're going to close today, here and in Skagit. We've got the teams here and in Skagit. We're going to close with a song that we haven't sang in a while here. It's called Hosanna. It's performed by a a group named Hillsong. Listen to the, the, the last words of this song. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen, show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause, as I walk this earth into eternity." Folks, that's a prayer. Prayer is a call to action. All right, Skadgett, going to turn you over to Pastor Brian. Thanks for joining us. Boca Raton joining us from Florida. We love you guys. Thanks for being part of our church family. For those of you joining us online, as always, we're so thankful that you're with us. Here in Bellingham, let's go ahead and stand for this closing song.